Hello and welcome to the MF Gamers Podcast. My name is Simon and this is episode 11 of 20 Questions where I bring in a surprise guest each episode and ask them 20 gaming related questions. Question one, who are you? Give us a little bit of background on your username. Dave from Manchester, uh, smaller booty. I don't think there is much background on it really. I wanted Call of Booty but it went so I think I went for Small of Booty. You wanted Call of Booty? Why Booty? Well it's just a play on Call of Duty isn't it? It's a call of sexual ambition and booty and all those sorts of things, you know. And it's an ironic British thing, isn't it, that you kind of do that stuff down a bit. So I thought there'd be more to that username, but I thought there'd be some sexual stuff going on or some jokey stuff, but no. That's probably just you wishing for it or imagining it. Yeah, Yeah, more than likely. It's jokey, I hope, but, you know, and it seems to interest or excite Americans more than anybody else. Because they think you're a woman. I'm not sure about that. Uh, if you look at my profile, it just say Dave, so, you know. <laughs> Are you saying that women can't be called Dave? <laughs> well, in this day and age, they certainly can. But when I was when I was bored, they weren't. <laughs> okay, question two. <laughs> Will gaming always be a part of your life, or do you think it's just a phase you'll grow out of? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a phase I grew into. Uh, I hope so, yes, certainly. And I, I think as I've grown older, it's something that's become much, much more a part of my life. And I could never imagine not having it now. You know, we play with Roy from America, but I'm in a clan in Warframe. And some of the guys are there in their 70s. It's interesting that that dynamic and those age groups are, I think, both changing as people like ourselves are growing older. But there's guys who've come before us who've either picked it up later or have probably been there from day one. So mm. I can't imagine it changing the way we play might change, but I don't think the idea of playing games or the enjoyment of playing games will change at all. I pretty much got on on the ground floor. There were a little bit before me, but I was more or less the first batch of people that come in. I wasn't the first batch, but I, I were on the sort of tail of it. But the people that you're talking about, especially Roy, mm. it was a precursor to what game it would become. He was there when it was just arcades and stuff, so. The question is, was he playing then? I'm not sure. And, and it may be, you know, people are picking it up later in life as well. Mm. I mean, for somebody like Roy, I mean, it's interesting because it's a way of connecting with his family. He's retired, so he connects with other people. You know, it's a social thing that if you're on your own, it can be a combat to loneliness and things like that, you know, as well as just the pleasure that gaming gives you anyway, you know. I talked about this elsewhere. I think any other social circle, I would have never have connected with anyone like Roy, but because of gaming, it's mm. given us a common interest, and it's like, even though we are vastly different people, we still can get on with each other and have a yeah. good time. I think the other thing is, there's, there's a slightly unspoken way of behaving when you play with friends and stuff, so I know politics comes into stuff occasionally, but you know, you think certain people have probably voted for people we wouldn't vote for or wouldn't like mm. to think vote for, like Trump, but that stuff doesn't come into it, it's almost you leave that at the door and you have a polite and social and respectful kind of relationship and you get on with each other as human beings perfectly well and people are really likeable despite perhaps some of the mistakes they've made only quite recently. Yeah, you sort of strip back that yeah, every other decision and yeah. their, their past and yeah. whatever you yeah. it's Everyone's equal, as it were. Yeah. Question three. Name your favourite game from age under 10 and then another game for each decade of your life. Well, it's kind of impossible. And two, we were joking about this because we said the answer might be conkers, didn't we? Yeah. So, I mean, I was born in 1965. I would reckon for the first 10 years of my life, probably the Magnavox was kicking around in a few places, but, you know, you just didn't see games at all. If you said what my gaming experience is 0 to 10, it'd probably playing army, playing football, 
riding my bike. Yeah, running around the field with a stick going <laughs> at someone. Absolutely, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and reading <laughs> comics, you know, and it's interesting, I suppose, that that period in the 70s, it's, it's really weird. I think if you haven't been there, it, it's such a beige time and such a black and white sort of time as well, you know, that the outlets and the media and the access to things we have today, you know, you think we had three TV channels, you know, we didn't have a colour telly till I think the 80s and you had comics and all the comics were like Beano or Dandy or Wizard and Chips or they mm. were war comics Two colour know, as well, not full colour, two colour Yeah, a lot of that stuff, yeah, absolutely and it's only generally just the, the cover and then inside it's all black and white and it was, everything was kind of war because I think my dad's generation my dad went to war at 17 and fought the Japanese and the whole idea that you play games when you should be outside doing stuff you know you shouldn't be indoors you should be outside doing stuff kicking things or riding things or doing whatever even when gaming starts to emerge it's probably not an acceptable thing at all and I Mm. I think you think back I mean how recent is it that gaming's become an acceptable pastime for adults and not something that is actually kids do then you grow out of it you know so Mm. I think the radical things for me at at the age 65 to 75 you know that first 10 years with the arrival of things like 2000 AD comic and action comic and battle comic which became battle action which were kind of revolutionary things you know compared to everything that had gone before and changed the way you thought as a kid and opened the doors to stuff you know it was a big culture shift absolutely and I don't know if I'd have been kind of first decade or second decade but you know suddenly you might go around to some kid's house and they'd have Pong so they'd probably have an Atari there you know this wooden cabinet it was just magic it was just like an unbelievable thing you know yeah. and, was, and you got to have a go at it and then you'd go away and you probably wouldn't touch those things for months a year you know it, it was just not part of growing up for me gaming or games or those things even existed you know if you played games they were board games or they were whiz wheels and dinky cars or scalextric or you know it was physical kind of stuff it was not not virtual stuff at all really you know mm. so that's your first 10 years of your life what about yeah. your teens well teens again didn't really feature anything i suppose if i saw video games it'd be in a pub or in a social club and rarely an arcade which would be if you went on your summer holidays and you were in a, a B&B or a guest house somewhere at the seaside you might wander in an arcade but day to day those things didn't really exist so the penetration hadn't happened yet I don't think so you know you'd be seeing Space Invaders and Asteroid and Missile Command and Pac-Man and, and Tink Tank which is like a wireframe type game which is, I quite liked at the time you were limited in terms of access because you had to pay for it and, you, you know, you're a kid or an early teenager, so you didn't really have any money. <laughs> so it's like you couldn't keep feeding it, so you never got good at it. So, again, it's this amazing thing that was always a little bit out of reach for me. That's another social shift, that just having disposable income as a kid. I mean, even as when yeah, I was a kid, yeah. I didn't have disposable income. Like, I look at my cousins now, and they're just like, oh, yeah, I'll spend, like, five quid on this. And it's like, fucking hell, like, what? Oh, yeah. I was lucky, I think, when I got a pound a week. Yeah. As a teenager, you know, and I was probably like my early to mid-teens at that point. It was fuck all, you know. I used to get pocket money when I was a kid and it's like, well, if I save up for this month, I can buy a Hit Squad game for the C64. Mm. Yeah, kids have so much more disposable cash now. I do remember, though, I think I was about 15 when we'd been in a youth hostel and we got stranded. We were supposed to go over Kinder Scout and it, we just got reined in. And me and my two mates spent the weekend in the pub playing Defender. Oh, I bet that were expensive. It was. And, and it got so bad that we spent all our money, had no money for food Ooh. or cigarettes, because we probably started smoking about the age of 14. So I remember looking for dimps to smoke so we could keep putting money in Defender. 
And that was probably my most extensive and condensed gaming experience as a teenager, I suspect. When you were a kid, you were expected to be outside smoking, playing football? Yeah, kind of. I mean, certainly my dad and his generation. I mean, I had mates who probably their parents might have been a bit younger, because I think my dad had me a bit late. You no, know, I had this kind of fairly violent, brutal, probably had post-traumatic stress disorder, because as a kid he'd been sent to war and seen some terrible stuff. Father, who just believed that... There was boys' things to do and you went and did boys' things, you know, and you got good at them. Yeah, they were very set in the ways with what people should be doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And genders and all that other definitely, bullshit that I'm definitely. not fucking going to get into here. He thought action men were dolls for girls, even though they were clearly boys' dolls, you know. So even the stuff like that he had problems with, you know. It's just a case that it were a doll. He didn't want any of absolutely. that Absolutely. And I suppose the rest of that decade, really, you know, as you're kind of late teenager, moving towards 20 or whatever, you know, it's the early 80s... So, yeah, 20s, what's your favourite game from the 20s? Headed up to 20s, you know, I mean, what else do you do? You went to Man United, stood in the Stretford paddock, you're into music and you were trying to get off with a girl. And that was kind of teenage years. And about 18, 19, I legged it off to France and went and lived there for a couple of years. Wow, so, yeah. <laughs> your 20s is a write-off as well as far as gaming goes. Well, I'm hitting early 20s now, so I'm probably about 21, 22, no, about 20, 21. It's the minus strike. I'm back in Britain. I'm squatting in Moss Side. We're on the doll, so we're getting about £16 a week to live on. And it's fantastic. It's just so much going on, you know? <laughs> this is the only time I've ever heard anyone call the 80s a fantastic time. <laughs> It is though, and I think you grow up in your own time, don't you? And you make do, and you make opportunity in your own time. Is this your version of like the war spirit? Like people go, oh, you, you want about it, one, it was it fucking great. You had no money, so what did you do? You kind of, you made your own drinks, you lived cheap and made curries, you know, you kind of squatted. Everybody was in bands, or your mates were in bands, you'd go off and do stuff. The Smiths were around, you had Punkers, New Wave had just kind of moved in, there was reggae going on, there was all these different things happening, you know, and uh, it was fantastic. And I think we look back on stuff and think it looks shit, but you, you grew up in that shit. I suppose you fought against the shit as best as you could, but you made the best you could as well out of it, you know. And that's just the way it is. I think we shouldn't look back in other people's generations and just assume it was terrible, even though the time might have been terrible. I mean, we did think, I think, that we're all going to die in a nuclear holocaust. Because, you know, we think Reagan and Thatcher and nuclear weapons and Green and Common. And it was a common, I think, feeling among us as teenagers and young young adults that actually, at any point, it just could be nuclear Armageddon because all these mm. arseholes are just going to push a button because it's the height of the Cold War. It really did feel like that. And you just kind of got on with that acceptance almost, I think. So what about your 30s? The well, the in my 20s, while this was going on, my mate had a Commodore 64. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, so you just went on the political thing for filler, or...? No, no, I mean, I mean that, that was kind of... I think that was much more what we did. And right. I think the thing was, he had a Commodore 64, which is this fascinating thing, and I loved it. And I remember sitting there waiting for the tapes to load, and sometimes you'd be taking turns typing in all the text, you know, for these bloody text mm. games that you had to record <laughs> yep. on the cassette and stuff, you know. I can't remember any games we played on it, really, but, again, it was just one of those fantastic things that you thought, I'd love to have one of them. But, you know, you had no money, and you didn't have a lot of time for it and stuff. So it's one of those things you think, I want this, but it's kind of beyond my reach. And it's not commonplace enough that everybody's got them all there kind of around. I mean, I remember I was the only guy in our flat at one point, had a telephone. In our deck access block, out of all my mates, and I had about nine mates we all moved in and stuff. It'd be like mid-80s, probably 6, 86, 87 by yeah. this point. I had the one landline, because by that point I got a job, and my girlfriend had a job. People's mums would phone up and go, can you go and get so-and-so? And you go, and go down a couple <laughs> exactly. floors. Exactly, I'm just going to bring that up. 
get them and bring them back again, you know, so yeah. you hold your mum's on the phone, you know. I grew up and most people had telephones when I were a kid, but it was very much a case of, hey, so-and-so don't have a telephone, so you get their family ringing up or they come round and go, hey, can I use your telephone? I need to ring my yeah, grandma yeah. or whatever. And it's like, yeah, come back after six when it's cheap calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. I mean, my mum my and dad always had one, but... My nana didn't, so we'd have to phone the neighbour and get my nana on and stuff. And I know mates who had, I mean, it's, this probably carried on through a bit later on, but, you know, you'd have a you'd have a little money box on the side of the phone, you'd have to put the money on to unlock it <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's but right. Then, do you remember TVs for, like, radio rentals and stuff like that? Rumbleos. Yeah, you'd rent a TV <laughs> and there'd be a money box attached to it. That still happens. All right, there you go. Things have not got better then, have they? I had a girlfriend in the mid-noughties and they had a TV that you had to put a pound in to work. There you go. Everyone were fucking absolutely broke. So yeah, yeah I'd probably, yeah. probably pay for their fucking TV. You used to go there around and visit and have to put a fucking quitting TV. You're not the tight though, the bastard. He says you're rather, are you? <sighs> fucking hell. Just, I didn't even get to watch what I wanted to watch either. They were always watching some shite. There you go. Oh, I just said it's Spectrum briefly, but I thought it's the biggest bag of shit. I know people rave about him, but I just thought that it's a horrible thing. After that 64 my mate had got, I just thought that's terrible, you know, and it's just awful. That was probably my first chance of owning a bit of gaming, and it was just a disappointment. So, I tried to get you onto this a little bit ago, like, uh, what, a couple of minutes, but your 30s, the game of your 30s, do you do you have a game of your 30s? I'm going to roll back to my 20s, I just had a memory. I played oh, 10. Bloody I hell. Played Ro- I played Rogue. That was the game of my, my early 20s. I don't even know what that is. You're going to have to explain it to me. So, my first proper job, working for Manchester City Council, we had PCs, but they were pre-Windows, pre-mouse, so you had to use MS-DOS commands to kind of open the word processor and all this sort of stuff. And everything was keyboard commands. So when you did word processing, everything was a keyboard command because we didn't have a mouse, you know. So you had mm. to do everything like that. And we found this game. I don't even know where we got it from. So you know you get the, the term roguelike now, yeah. which is that kind of insta-death stuff. This was procedurally generated dungeon crawling. And you use the cursor keys and your character, I think it was the at symbol, I can't remember. And it was really in-depth. There were potions, there was armour, there were monsters. You got weapons with values. Monsters could counteract it. Was it just D&D digitised? I suppose it was. All the passageways and stuff were ghosted out, so you had to explore them to open them. And sometimes you got doors ah. you couldn't open, or there'd be traps. The level of depth, considering that literally every every character was a letter of the alphabet or a symbol off the keyboard and you had to use potions you had to use spells you had to undo the uh, the, the kind of the status effects that are put on you you get trapped you get poisoned you know all these different things that the, the level of depth to it is quite incredible really we mm. played the arse off that me and my mate we just played it to depth and i think later on it it was an upgrade and it was, became 10 Rogue. And I know you can get kind of versions of this stuff today, you know, which uh, kind of harking back to it. I think there's even a couple of things on my phone are downloaded. So Pixel Dungeon and Shattered Pixel Dungeon, two of the apps on my phone, are kind of, I suppose, graphical modern versions of that, which are still rock hard and kind of unforgiving. Yeah, they're based on the same idea. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that was a game we played a lot of, which, considering it was so utterly, utterly basic graphically, you actually lost yourself. It's one of the things, you know, like a good book will take you somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and your imagination takes over. But the, the depth to it was, was great. Loved it. So that was probably the first game I actually played a lot of and hammered on a PC. Okay, so third time lucky. Yeah. <laughs> game so, of your 30s. It's a bit hard to know where I am in, in the time frame here, but um, probably getting on to being around 30. I got an Atari ST. And then I, and that didn't last long. And then I had an Amiga. I had an Amiga 1200 and a 500. 
1200 or 2 mega RAM. It was a, it was a massive it was, kind it of... It was a beast. <laughs> it, it was a beast of a thing, yeah. It was a massive jump forward, you know. And I was thinking, really, that there was probably some defining moments in my not playing a lot of games up to a certain point in my life, but I think the Amiga was the point where, one, I owned a games machine properly for the first time. Two, I had access to a whole kind of library stuff and my god there were some fantastic games on there i actually made a note of some of the games just thinking back in the run-up to this you know i think to choose a favorite game would be almost impossible alien breed speedball lemmings sentinel soccer chaos engine golden axe ufo anybody unknown xenon wing commander played the first wing commander i'll say to you what i say to everyone you get one per decade yeah, civilization i'm I just stuck at syndicate populous another world in flashback you know i did just crap like rainbow islands and bubble bobble all these sort of things you know that kind of bullfrog and bitmap runners and all those things going on you know but the first civ and um, sim city things coming out as well you know it's just it, it almost set the foundation for loads of stuff to come and it probably started to introduce social gaming in a, a little way you know you'd sit around playing some soccer well, yeah, there's that as well. But also, I think you sit there with your mates and playing sensible soccer. You know, you just have mm. matches, you line it up, you know, or speedball. Winner you know, stays those, on. Yeah, you know, so all those sort of things where, all right, you're all sat around a TV. But um, it, it started for me that kind of social gaming rather than sitting mm. there playing things that are rock hard and struggling with it. Or getting a manual for some sort of game where you have to go and run a bath and, and sit there and read the manual before you could even take the plane off and stuff. You know, it's actually this, that instant sitting down playing things with people was great. I remember a Wing Commander one time, there was a bit of one mission that was so difficult that I did all the missiles and the engines while my mate did the piloting. You know, it, it was just kind of those things sometimes that you think this is how you should be playing games with people, having a laugh and that cooperative stuff and sharing the experience really, you know. And I think for me that, that was almost set the pattern a little bit for how I feel games should be, you know. Mm. So I'll ask again, which one? Oh fuck those! I don't even know. I don't even know if these were in my thirties. That's a trouble. It's all a bit of a blur for me, Simon. Looking back on some of this, just pick one. God damn it! I don't think I can. If you ask me on different days, it'd be a different game. That's the problem. Okay. Well, he'd listed off a whole fucking gamut. I think game out there. of that list, just sensible pick... soccer. Yeah, sensible Speed, soccer. Speedball, lemons. <laughs> Come on, Wink Dave. You know, Siv, Siv, you know, yeah. as well. You know, they're all syndicate. I mean, I can't. I can't choose. Yeah. They're brilliant. We're just they're fucking roll a dice. I just, you know. I'm past it. And I think I had a PC around the same time because I briefly had a, a flirtation with PC gaming, which didn't last long. But I think the first game I got on that was probably would have been in my thirties then, was Midtown Madness, playing that on a joystick, bloody car game, you know. And by that point, Wing Commander Four had come out as well, which had Mark Hamill in it. Yeah, that's we're going into like the mid nineties here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I probably in my thirties at this point, and at, at that point, I think I hadn't seen Mark Hamill since as a kid and watched Star Wars at the cinema. So that was interesting. Malcolm McDowell was there, and I think the engineer was a porn star, wasn't she? I don't fucking remember that because it was all um, filmed, wasn't it? It, it, was it were all FMV games, yeah, where everybody was kind of videoed. Came on four DVD, no, not DVDs. I think came it was on, CDs still. Four it CDs. Came, yeah, it came on four CDs. I played That's that right. on PlayStation One. Yeah, so I was on the PC with that. And you think you know it's a bit exotic that a porn star on a on a video game, even though she kept a vest on and had a bit of an oily face. But you know, it was a very <laughs> fact that it was a, a real life porn star. Because if you want to see a porn star, you had to get a blue on a on a VHS off somebody. You know, hey mate, I've got a blue. Do you want to borrow it? No thanks. You know, that, that was it. That was where your porn came from. You think, you know. So, so we're taping a VHS tape for the umpteenth time. I apologise, listener. We will talk about games at some point. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, we are doing. We are doing. 
Operation Flashpoint is another game I played at that point. That's a little bit further on. Oh, the PC, 2001, 99-2001. And Civ 3 had come out then as well, so that, that was another one. I can't stop him! It's just fucking... It's like a runaway train. I know. <laughs> okay, give me your forties. See, I can't work out the chronology with a lot of these. I don't know where... I don't know how old I was when I saw this stuff. I had a Nintendo 64 somewhere in there, which was good. You know, that whole golden eye and... So, no, hang on a minute. Forties. I, I think I knew you by this time. Yeah? Yeah, would that have been? Let's... When would you have been 40? I met you in... 2004. 2005, I'd have been 40. Yeah, so I knew you through your 40s. So, 360. Yeah. Early Anything 360 you'd have known me. So, yes. okay, yeah. So, preceding that, late 30s going to 40 at a Nintendo 64. So, for that, that would definitely have been probably GoldenEye for me. Oh, so we've actually settled on a game, GoldenEye. Well, yeah, you know, tempered by Perfect Dart and Mario Kart and a few other things as well, you know. And there would have been an Xbox One as well before I met you. So, yeah, you can chuck Halo into that. And I think Knights of the Old Republic and probably Star Wars Battlefront were the three games I kind of remember most. Mm. You're not going to believe this, lads, but yeah, he said he was dead nervous before he started and I've not been able to shut him up. <laughs> he oh, just fucking... There you go. He's just gone. Very nervous chat, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think the thing about those games is, again, it's the social stuff. So GoldenEye, that's sitting there playing with your mates, isn't it? Mm. Halo, co-op in that and things. I suppose the one that's different was Knights of the Old Republic, which probably introduced me to RPGs in a way that I'd never done before because I wasn't gaming on PCs and stuff. So that was interesting. And I think some of those games, again, set the tone for what I like today, which is that kind of co-op play. But I do like that kind of rpg light looter-shooter type stuff as well. So mm. it kind of set the tone for that a bit. I'm not going to get to ask this often, but what about your 50s? Well, we've not really done before 40s yet. I'm only 53, oh, no. so, you know. Yeah, you, you get one game. My 40s just... are probably defined by the Xbox 360, if you think about it. Right, okay, so what game would it be? I've written down four, Simon. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> you get one, you get one. I, am, yeah. I, I will, like, if there's any fucking jump cuts in this edit, it's because I've fucking just edited out all these other choices. I'm a trustist for the 1980s. I don't accept these parameters you could put it on me, Simon. You've got to smash up the system and create a revolution. That's where I'm coming from. Fucking hell. Okay, Russell Brand. <laughs> fucking stop. Pick <laughs> one. With you, Russell Brand. <laughs> there are some defining moments with the Xbox 360. I also had a PS3 and I hated it. And I, oh, and I, and I never played it. It was shit. But, because it didn't work for my thumbs and it always updated every time I switched it on. A bit like the Xbox One became on the next generation. I think the thing about the 360 was, it's the first time we did online gaming. So Call of Duty Modern Warfare, I think, was a perfect single player game. And it's the first time I ever went online. So you're a bit like your first girlfriend. It's a bit like that. And I think as a result of that, I made made friends with people. I kind of joined the Games TM forum, which is where I met you and a whole bunch of people. I'm still playing games with over 10 years later. So it created those friendships as well, I think. So it was brilliant as an online game. And it was brilliant for developing some of those friendships that have stood the test of time, really, you know. Although it nearly didn't happen, because I remember under my desk, where my laptop was upstairs in this little front bedroom where I had all my, all my kit, I thought, right, I'm going to go online. I'm going to hook up and try this thing out, you know. And I plugged in the Ethernet cable into this socket. I had a wall-mounted Ethernet socket that linked in. The house was kind of wired for Wi-Fi. It was great. And the previous owner had it all done. And nothing happened. And I thought, oh. And I gave up. And a week later, I had another look. I realised I plugged the phone line into the Ethernet cable, not the cable coming mate. out of the... Yeah, so it nearly didn't happen, but it did. And so for me, I think that was brilliant because it got me into gaming in the way I am now and that almost made gaming a way of life, really. You are the very epitome of a social gamer to me. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's why you can't choose one thing because these games mean different things. So Modern Warfare got me somewhere I wasn't and introduced me to a whole world of stuff and forums and mates and all these sorts of things, you know. The Mass Effect trilogy was, I think, a wonderful set of games, which again, I think, you know, I said getting into RPGs and that color RPGs like. But at the same time, I think the defining thing about that was, was that my value, you know, was dying of cancer. And yeah, I do remember. When I put my wife to bed at night or she'd done a med and stuff like that and I was trying to have some kind of downtime I remember there's a period I was playing Mass Effect 2 I think it had been at the time it was that sort of thing where I couldn't save Val but I could save the universe and it took me somewhere that allowed me to have some control in my life that I didn't have in my life because there were things happening that you have no control over so I'll always feel that's a special set of games for me my memories of that is both you and he's not on the forum, Blagmaster. Mm. You were having trouble with Val, Joe, with pressure care and stuff as she had cancer. Mm. And yeah. he, I can't remember what his wife had, but you were always like backwards and forwards, so I'll just go check on her. I'll go do it. Yeah, yeah, she yeah, needs yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I always remember that. So mm. it'd be like, oh, we'll just wait up until Joe to come back. I know. We used to have those breaks where it were like, okay, yeah, we'll, yeah, this yeah. is where we'll go. Get a pot of tea or get another beer or That's get a so packet of them. Yeah. I'm going to do two more because I think for me it kind of shows our games could be kind of more than what they are. So I think Mass Effect was, you know. I also remember Mass Effect 3. I got stuck on a kind of a, a boss about two thirds of the way through. I had to phone my grandson up who used to come around and play in the 64 with me and all the other sort of stuff when he was a little kid and he was now kind of 19. He had to drive over, kill the boss for me, then he drove back again to Prestwich. <laughs> God, fuck off. <laughs> I, had to do like a care, I had to do like a care call, you know. <laughs> that was 2012. I remember Mass Yeah, yeah. I think Fable 2 was another game I loved because apart from the fact you think, why did I sit there chopping logs for hours? I remember Val, when she knew she was dying, she, and she said to Nylon, you remember Nylon Bunk? I my do, mate. Yeah. So he's a mate of mine for 30 years, you know, and he's not gaming at the moment. But she said, I'm buying Fable 2 for you, Mike. That's his name, because uh, you can play it with Dave and you can go online and play together. So he's not on his own. And it was just one of those little moments. So it was a game I loved, but it was, it was just a really lovely little thing that she was thinking about me, you know, when she wasn't there. Mm. And I think the final defining game, it was Bad Company. One and two, but I think two refined one, and I think it's a game we all played together a lot, and we had massive stories to tell, and the forum was full of tactics and those things that just happened, you know. Pie charts. Absolutely, you spreadsheets and pie charts, you know. Yep. And I think the thing for me again was, it was Valor died, I was now in a big house on my own, rattling around, and it was all right, you could be in work during the day, and you were busy, and you're occupied, but you come home to that empty house, and if you weren't out with your mates and stuff, you had those hours to kill, and, and being able to go and play that game with you, and Lear, and all those different people, you know, and uh, Scowling Monkey, and all it those... It was a sanctuary. Absolutely, you know, it was absolutely a safe place to be, and all you guys probably not you so much but the others you know it's blokes who didn't really know what to say and were a bit awkward but you knew everybody cared about you and everybody's kind of checking how you were and they didn't know how to say it or they couldn't quite say it but they didn't need to because I knew it was all okay and for me that was just probably got me through what otherwise would have been an even worse time so for me that was really important really special and I think again that's that power of gaming you know and define that period for me a bit as well I think that those four games are really important for different reasons but they're all part and parcel of life in the outside world and kind of life sometimes being shit and you've got no control or say of it you know so those are the games of perhaps the Xbox 360 generation which I thought was a wonderful machine what about your 50s I suppose my 50s is 
kind of moving into the PS4 as well. So the first time in my life, I'm owning a PlayStation and loving it. That, I think, is partly because I can now use the controller for the first time because the buttons seem to be in the right place and the thumbsticks seem to work for me. And the Xbox One at the time just been a massive disappointment. It was almost felt like the Xbox 360 uh, PS3 could be flipped on its head. And again, I've got three or four games here, which I'm sorry, Simon, which I think... Oh, my uh, God! which are kind of defining games of the moment for me. You know, I think one, even though I played it on 360, was playing through Grand Theft Auto V again, which I think is a stunningly wonderful world to play in. But the fact is this time round, which I didn't do the first time, we did it, there's a single player game, but then we did the online stuff, which mm. is just such fun. The stupid things that happened or those unscripted things and just the stupid amount of time we'd spend farming a car again and again. Just, you know, you've got $20 million in the bank and you need to go and get another one of those 12 grand cars just to keep your, your, your thing topped up. You know, it's, yeah. that, it's that kind of world really. It's just crazy. And I just loved it so much. I thought it was the imagination and the, the unscriptedness of it and just the capers. I've got a screenshot I think I took a U just about to jump off the Vinewood sign you're still on the O and I'm, I'm underneath looking up on that picture and the sun is setting behind it and it's just you think you couldn't go out in real life and capture moments like that you know so the fact you could take pictures and record this and capture these moments in a, in a constantly changing world I think it's just wonderful you know I think that's just great so that probably is a game as an all round game I think it's fantastic but in terms of games of Hammered which you well know I mean I thought the division was brilliant until it became shit i think destiny one which i came to late but i got all the good bits at that point i've loved that game which is why destiny 2 which is such a disappointment but now it's becoming enjoyable again because they seem to put right what went wrong and i think the most recent game that for me feels like it'll just run and run is warframe hmm. all looter shooters yeah I, I suppose that's the other thing isn't it that looter shooters seem to be becoming my thing but they're looter shooters that you play with other people so you have the depth and the variety of customization and creating your own characters your own builds almost becomes a bit of a bit of a specialism to it isn't it so you become a bit of a specialist in your field so where there's a bit of feeling a bit clever or special about that or or just becoming better at something i don't know i suppose those are kind of factors but the fact is it's it's cooperative or it's a shared experience and i think that's what i've begun to probably understand is that i kind of like the shared experience i've got a few games that are single players i've not even played yet you know it's just because i think well people might be online or i'll go and have the chat or you know i'll just catch up with people yeah gaming for you is primarily uh, a social thing i think it is yeah yeah even though there are games you know which I would love to play single player, you know, and Grand Theft Auto V is an example of playing a game on your own, which is just fantastic. But I think increasingly there are games I'd love to play, but I'm kind of almost putting off playing them. I'm the same. Sometimes I boot a game up or I boot the, either my PC or my console up and I look and I see who's on and that yeah. sort of dictates what I'm going to be doing that night. Yeah, yeah. And I'll see you and I'll think, oh, you know, well, we'll start chatting or you just come on the headset. Mm. So even if I was playing a single player game, I'd think, well, I wouldn't be able to devote the attention to it because there'll be story or plot development or something happening. I'm going to miss it. Mm. And actually, I prefer to be chatting, which is a bit of a problem, really, because it means I'm missing out on some really cracking games, you know. But there's enough to keep me busy. I suppose that's your thing. You can only play so much. In a world where you're working and you've got a social life and family responsibilities and all those other things, you know. Just wait until you get to Roy's age, you better play everything. Well, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Mm. I am looking forward to that early retirement. Okay, we'll move on from question three, because we're like 30 minutes deep and we've only done three questions. Well, sorry about that. I thought, uh, that was cool. I thought I'd come to the end of it. I thought that's it now. No, no, that's it. No, we've got like another 17 questions to fucking oh, bust through. Well, you didn't warn me, did you? You didn't tell me. 
Okay, yeah. so question four. Are there any parts of gaming that are no longer with us that you miss? No. Question five. Which game have you completed the most? Is it completion you got the platinum or is it you've spent the most time on? No, the one that you've completed the most, so the one that you've seen the credits roll the most. Well, Grand Theft Auto V, the credits rolled, and I've done most things apart from some of the collecting. Division, I platinum that. I've done most of Destiny, done most of Warframe. I think what is different now is that I do complete more games. I think earlier doors where a lot of games, they were kind of endless, weren't they? Or there were no real endings and stuff. I think the first game I ever completed properly probably was Wing Commander. Mm, that's a long time ago. And Civ, you know, stuff like where you get to you get to an ending at least. Yeah, Civ didn't really have an ending though. It was just basically these are missions, but it's for a never ending. Well, you'd game. go to space, wouldn't you? I suppose or whatever it was. So yeah, you, you had an ending, or you'd uh, you know you'd you'd conquer or you'd whatever it might be, you know. So there'd be an mm. ending of sorts, yeah. But I do complete more games now. I think that's a sign of them getting easier. They're getting easier games overall, I think. They might be, or they might be more engaging. I might want to see the end. So I, I very quickly now, I think I'll play a game and I'll, I'll decide very quickly if I like it or not. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll either go with it or I'll, I'll just bin it and think, no, you know what, I'm not enjoying this. Or I've put enough time into this. I'm going to go and do something I enjoy. Mm. Question six. Are there any parts of gaming that need to be expanded on? I think the thing that is happening a bit more and I like and I think needs to be more part and parcel of games is, is the storytelling. The kind of narrative or the, the sense of place or you're being brought into that story, I think. So I've played a few games recently like Journey and Life is Strange, Gone Home, What Remains of Edith Finch. All those sort of games, I think, I'm, I'm kind of loving what they're trying to do. And they're not always getting it right or perhaps we don't always have the technology or the capabilities yet to do that but that kind of engaging kind of story or engaging your imagination which is what gaming should be doing is engaging your imagination and I suppose that's something I want to see more of mm, sometimes there can be a bit that can stumble through the stories and not absolutely hit home. yeah yeah mm. yeah so I think Mass Effect is a good example of uh, engaging you you know it doesn't always work and you know you're always conscious that it's a bit you know, the branching pathways are always there and stuff, you know. And I think what's happening now is a bit of a move where they're hiding that a bit better, perhaps, you know. The stuff with Mass Effect is there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on, but it's yeah. completely absorbing of what yes. it's presenting. Yeah, yeah, But you're always kind of a bit conscious of those smoke and mirrors, whereas I think some of this new stuff is sometimes you're forgetting it a bit more, let's say, you know. So I think it's interesting that these attempts that aren't 100% successful, but they're, I think, giving a little window of, I think, where we could be going, or, or even if they could start bringing some of that into some of the mainstream gaming in a way that you get that those things start to combine more. Mm. I think that the really... pioneers, that's what they are. These new definitely, games are sort of pioneers, yeah. and it's going to take them a while to get it right. Yeah, I think Journey, the way that that makes you engage with that character and get an emotional response and something that's incredibly simple, and the fact when you join other players and you kind of react to them in a way that is almost quite innocent. And then in the end, you get a list of people you played with, you know, and it's like Noob Killer 9000, you know, and you think that's some guy's 50 who's probably weighs 30 stone and playing a game in his mum's basement still, you know, but, but you've had a really intimate moment with that person only half an hour before, you know, it's a really, it's a kind of a weird that you go in the game and it's, you're just in there in an unthinkingly innocent and cooperative and kind of way, and you come out of it and you think, fucking hell, those are real people and that was a bit odd, you know. Mm, it's kind of crazy that with Journey, it's sort of this metaphor that these mm. people can have an effect on your life and they're yeah. completely random people yeah. and it sort of makes you think about how 
has my life been affected by random people in real life? Like, yeah. there's a lot of incidental things where you, you can sort of link back and go, actually, I'm part of a bigger picture here. Even though mm. I, if I feel mm. me, I feel me, there's instances where I am completely at the whim of someone else's decisions that are, are sort of guiding me, even though I don't really realise it. It's smoke and mirrors, but it's real mm. life. Like, you don't really realise it, but that's well, let's, how it let's face is. it, in real life, we, we're all subject to uh, the whims and uh, the decisions of a lot of people we're never going to meet or have any control over, aren't mm. we? So, yeah, just so you can scale that down at all levels, I suppose. I think the thing about journeys, you have those connections and then what's weird is when the game finishes, you're almost kind of wrenched out of it. Mm. So while you're in there, you are kind of lost in it and then when the credits scroll at the end and, you, and it, all the players you've met suddenly pop up and you think, ooh, I didn't really think about that at the time. You know, that's a bit weird, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, it, it was, I say it was kind of, feels quite an innocent kind of experience, I think, you know. Question seven, what's your favourite weapon to use in gaming? God, there's no simple answers, are there? It'd be a boring question if it were. Yeah. I like the, the massive purple vinyl dildo melee weapon in Saints Row. In Saints Row. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Couple that with a jet hover bike and uh, what more could you ask for in life? No, that's the perfect answer. I'm yeah. going to retire this question because no one's going to beat that. <laughs> Literally, no one's going to beat that, yeah. <laughs> Question eight. Is there anything in games that makes you cringe or be disappointed in the inclusion of such things? I think it's two things that disappoint. It's one, when the game doesn't live up to your expectation and it lets you down with crappy writing or just sloppiness, you know? Um, you had this recently with Shadow of the Colossus when you got your pro and you were like, I want to like it, but it's not for me. Well, yes, that's a third thing, really. So I think there's the thing where people just let you down with crappiness. I think the other thing that's a disappointment is when, like Destiny 2, where people just let you down by screwing you, you know, or not standing up to the ideals or the standards that they set themselves, you know, and chase something else, you know, whether that be money or monetization or a whole new wave of players who are not going to stay with them. So that's a disappointment. And I think, yeah, legendary games that are really disappointing. So Shadow of the Colossus, you know, and I was saying it before about, you know, just stopping playing games really quick if I don't like them. Mm. That was the most horrible, clunky, disappointing thing for me. You know, I, I've settled into that thinking, right, I'm going to catch up on this thing that I should have always played, but it's probably on PlayStation and I didn't have a PlayStation. This is the moment. It's this legendary experience and actually it's fucking horrible. I just thought, what a horrible game to play. You know, the mechanics on it were just shocking. And I just thought it was almost inexcusable. And so so the story and the philosophy bit of it were just lost by the fact that I had a firewall of clunkiness, you know. Yeah, it's an obstruction for fun. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and why are we playing games if not to have pleasure out of it, you know? And I'm just like, I think about it philosophically, and I know you're supposed to, have struggled if I'd have enjoyed the game style just with the fact you're just murdering stuff, you know. I know we murder stuff all the time in games, but generally they give you a bit of a reason to murder stuff, and I didn't think it was strong enough in that. I felt like I was uh, the sort of character or player I didn't want to be. Mm. Which is interesting, when I play games, I can't play it as a bad person. Even when you've got agency to go down the good path or the bad path, I tend to always go down the righteous path. I don't know why that is. I feel uncomfortable not doing it. I always want to do the right thing. So I've never played a bad character. Ever? No, never. Mm, I think that might be a, a thread that springs out of this. We'll make you play a game and we're going to make you play as a bad person. Just okay. to see how you react. Yeah, that'd be I think that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you can sort of fill it in like a diary as you play. I kind of like the idea of you're playing against your grain 
because mm. interesting stuff can arise. It's bizarre, even in Grand Theft Auto, and I've played all the Grand Theft Auto games as well, I think, and it happens all the time, but I don't think I've ever deliberately or knowingly, apart from a slight bit of tormenting people occasionally, I've never really gone out and run over or killed bystanders. I'll always happily go and murder the bad guys or whatever, but all the cops, because they're paid to get murdered, but even those kind of in-game incidental NPCs, I tend not to do that. I just It's just something that makes you think, I'll drive round them, you know, or whatever it might be, you know. Of course, they get caught in the collateral damage, but it's it's one of those weird things that I've never got out of my way on a spree like that. I don't know. It's a weird thing about me, perhaps. Because mm-hmm. as I'm thinking about it, I'm going to realise this, you know. Question nine. Have you ever caused yourself an injury through gaming? If so, what was it? And how did it happen? I don't think I have. I got RSI. Just through playing too much? Well, probably a bit of sitting at a desk at work a lot of the time, you know, but... When I did see a physio, he said, do you play video games? I said, yeah. He said, well, you've got RSI then. That's what it is. So, yeah, I, I know if I play, if I long periods, I think it's more the, you know, clutching the pad. Your, your hands are kind of locked, aren't they? I think that's probably uh, the thing that does for me. That and dry eyes. But no, I've not had an injury. Question 10. Name your favourite poster on MF Gamers. Don't have one. I think they're all fucking awful. Question 11, name a game you wish you were good at, but... Uh, you're, sp- you're supposed to come back and say something about that so I could then correct no. what I said. Yeah, <laughs> I'm okay. not going to stop. We have been talking. <laughs> like, thing is, I feel, at, at, right at this moment, I feel like I've gone for a bus and I've been cornered by an old person and they just won't shut up. They just yeah. keep talking and it's like, oh my God, please, but for the bus just to come and, and to go upstairs so they can't talk to me. They'll probably follow me up fucking stairs. I've not been out of the life. house for three weeks, Simon. You're the first person <laughs> I've spoken to apart from the guy yeah. at the checkout in Asda, yeah. This is it. I feel victimised through verbalisation. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Go on, what's the question? Never game you wish you were good at, but at. Mm. I just think I, I probably wish I was better at all games. I suppose I'm not very good at driving games, which is why I don't play them. So I, I always wish I'd be better at driving games, but I kind of feel quite happy with the level I'm at and what I do. I'm better at games than I used to be. I play more games than I used to do. I complete more games than I used to do. As far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm pretty happy. And I think, you know, if you're mature enough and confident enough about yourself and who you are, you know what your limitations are. It all walks to life, so you're not going to agonise about it or get upset about it. I think I'm more disappointed in games when I don't play as well as I know I can do than feeling upset about the fact that I'm not as good as somebody else is, you know, because we're all good at different things, aren't we? Mm. So I'm quite philosophical about it, whereas in the past when I was younger, I'd probably be absolutely gutted that I wasn't as good as I should be or people are better than me. But I think it depends on how competitive you are as a person. Yeah, and I'm pretty confident, so I don't give a toss anymore. I know if I'm playing badly for myself, you know, I know something's beyond me and I need I need a carry, you know, but it is what it is. And to counterpoint question 11, question 12, name a game you think you're the best at. What brings you to these conclusions? Hmm. I think when I was playing Division, for example, recent, I'm just thinking recent examples rather than looking back over time, or even Warframe, I think I'm good at those because I got the inside trap. You know, you almost become an expert at something. There are levels upon levels upon levels of complexity because they keep changing the game and introducing new materials and new levels and new mods, you know, new weapons, new equipment. So, I mean, Warframe is a perfect example of that. I think the fact that I can find my way around Warframe now and I'm competent and I can be a guide for other people in the clan who are new to the game on the clan that I'm a member of while still every day encountering new stuff, I just think, what even is that? Or what do you do with that? You know, so I'm, I'm quite proud of that, that you get to a point where you become an expert and you can start to create builds or do your own thing or create diversity in what you do. 
and have different things in different situations. You know, I think that's what I like being good at. And that's why those looter shooters with that RPG element are probably why I like those sorts of games because it gives you the opportunity to do that sort of thing. You can get your god rolls or you can construct your own god rolls or you create those kind of metas and stuff that respond to situations or change in situations. So I kind of like that, that becoming an expert in your own lunchtime, you know. That's what I'm good at. Question 13. Name a game that you were initially wrong about. The stance change can go either way. I think Division is a good example of a game that started great and then paled, and I probably spent too much time doing it. I think the games that disappointed for me were Battlefield, in terms of they started bright, but they never captured that bad company thing. Mm. So I think sometimes you have an expectation that the next iteration of something is going to build on the thing before that you love so much and it doesn't because it goes in a different direction which is perfectly legitimate you know or they just make a bollocks of it you know I think that's the other thing Mm. I feel for for Battlefield is like listening to an artist that you really really like and Mm. when they release another album it's like ah yeah I guess I'll give this more chance and then you listen to it a couple more times like nah this is garbage (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. not what I want. And sometimes, you know, I think that's about they, they might be doing something brilliant, but it's not what you want. You know, and that's like an artist. You know, you can you could be back, you could have every, every album somebody's released, and then they'll do something new, and you think, ah, oh, no. And, and the thing is, I, I've got artists like that who I've followed for years, and I think it's not that I don't like the artists anymore. I think, well, fair play to you. You've decided to do this thing, this different thing, or this new thing, or you're not going to stay doing this thing, and you're going to go in a different direction. But it's not for me, and I'm not going with you. Mm. But good luck to you. But it's it's not what I'm looking for. It's a weird thing, not only just in music, in gaming, in, in film, in everything. Yeah, absolutely. You sort absolutely. of look at people and they make the same thing over and over and over again yeah, and yeah, they get yeah. criticised for it. But if they try and move out of that, yeah, they get yeah. criticised yeah. as they well because it's either, like, you know, yeah, so, yeah, they're, 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 they're probably need to create a new audience because they're never going to satisfy the existing audience, mm. you know. Yeah, that's right. Star Wars is probably a perfect example of that, isn't it? You know, the Star Wars I grew up with as a kid going to the pictures, which were throwaway 1970s cowboy films set in space, you know. Yeah, space schlock. There was no lore, there was no backstory, there was no universe, you know, all that sort of stuff. They were very simple on one level. At the same time, they were fucking miraculous because we never saw stuff like that. And you think it's it's an age where that sophistication we have today and that volume of different sorts of media and all those things just didn't exist so they were fantastic you know and then people today are looking back at those like they're the holy grail and all the lore and the story that's been developed around that and being very disappointed by the current batch of stuff whereas I've, I've been to the pictures to see that I think you know what it's very much in the spirit of what I went to see when I was a kid you know people are attaching all this heavyweight stuff to it which never used to exist if you just see them as what they are which is a fantasy film for kids and their parents or adults who enjoy being kids you know and that sort of stuff and you don't look too deep into it they're great fun and it's space magic there's always been space magic so to kind of criticise space magic when it becomes implausible space magic well when does space magic stop being plausible Mm. when did it become plausible as well like where's the line nobody criticises Harry Potter for being too magical all it is it's sci-fi space magic that's never probably made a lot of sense or been very I think sometimes people try and put facets on stuff that don't need to be multifaceted yeah you can be just one idea and run with it that's fine Star Wars today is is brilliant throwaway fiction although Mm. I have to say the the first three I thought were awful but not because they didn't follow the lore or story plots just just bad films it was just bad films and shit acting wasn't it really you know it was just awful Question 14, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a game? Was anyone around to see it and did they laugh at you? Probably with you in Grand Theft Auto. The thing is, I've seen so you do so many fucking stupid things that I've it's lost true, count. It's true, actually. I hope you might have kept a list because I probably can't remember half of them. But the number of times I just fell out of helicopters and landed on my face, you know, that's probably... 
just root, just routine dumb, isn't it, really? You know? I always remember when you called, uh, just for people that don't know, in Grand Theft Auto Online you can buy vehicles, and one of the vehicles you can buy is a helicopter. So when you call it in, there's only so many helicopter pads around Los Santos. And depending on where you are, it sort of spawns the helicopter on the nearest pad. And there were one time where you spawned your helicopter in, and it were at Humane Labs. So I was like, oh, I'll you with that in my helicopter. Yep. And you sort of did this weird belly flop out I there. I did. I could yeah, picture it happening <laughs> right now. Yeah, and oh man, I, I never laughed. Well, I've laughed at you quite a lot because the stuff you do is just, oh my God. I've got the clips still on my PlayStation of that. Have you? Yeah, definitely. Because you switched to a pro, so you might not have it. Ah, I think everything carried over when I did the transfer. Oh, did you do a transfer? Yeah, I did, yeah. I've also got that clip where you and I were in a car and we were going cross-country getting chased and we just hit like a bump and the car just went up in the air and did a perfect 360 barrel roll and came back down on its wheels. And you could not have made it up. It was like a Them Duke boys at it again. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The Dukes of self-harm, I think it was. But yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. So I've still got all that stuff. I do have a habit of just falling off shit all the time, you know, jumping in destiny. I mean, fucking hell. I was looking through my YouTube channel recently. There's a video up called Smaller Booted the Graceful Acrobat. Yeah, and it's one me. of the points. Yeah, <laughs> one of these points where we were going through a raid and there were me, Sam Bob, and just a, a selection of other guys. I assume Jay was there probably, wasn't he? And, uh, probably, yeah. yeah. And we're just watching you try to jump across this puzzle. And you took so long to jump across it that me and Sam Bob had worked out how to jump backwards across it. Yeah. (laughs) It was meant to be just a one-way puzzle. I'm a lot better in Destiny 2. I don't know what they've done to the jumping, but I kind of find it a lot easier. They probably looked at stats and gone, look at this fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to make it simple. They dubbed down it. the whole of Destiny 2 for the, the casual, <laughs> non unable to jump gamer like me. It's my fault that everyone... <laughs> That's what it is. They've had to, they've had to bring uh, Forsaken out to correct everything they did to make it more acceptable and uh, accessible to the likes of me. That's what it is. I broke Destiny 2. There you go. Yeah, that's it. That's why it was fucking... We that's, that's why, why we're fucked. That's why gaming's going to hell in a handbasket because of me. Dave's but, jumping yeah. fucking skills are just not up to par. No, I do find it difficult. I think it's just that whole first-person jumping thing. You can't see your feet, can you? Well, it's third-person. Yeah, but... I've got no excuse. I don't know even why I said that. Yeah, oh, I'm just fucking hopeless. This has to be the most off-topic fucking 20 questions I yeah, have yeah, ever done. Yeah. Well, I did think that before we started this, a big chunk of my life is talking about not being a gamer, you know, just because I, did, I didn't have access to it for a while, so you got to make up for this stuff. Question 15. Give me your best impression of your favourite game character. Ooh, I can't wait to see what you do with that. <laughs> I'm fucking drinking! <laughs> no, you fucking can't be. <laughs> Oh, well, I can't do that again. No, that's fine. Lord Shacks, there we go. He does do another one as well, which I think is hilarious. Go on. Can't do the voice to it, but he goes, uh, What do you mean you can't concentrate when I'm yelling at you? <laughs> Relax! <laughs> He's the most homoerotic bully going, and I'm sure Lenny James has had great fun doing that voice, yeah. <laughs> question 16, what's your biggest gaming achievement? I know this is a give me your top answer to each question thing, but I suppose I don't kind of see things like that. You do think one night and you feel like you've really achieved something or you're proud of what you've done or you've enjoyed it or you've had a great time and next time it might be something totally different. 
but you feel just as great about it, you know. And I think the thing about gaming is it gives you lots of those different moments, doing lots of different things. So for me, you know, it's a bit like me trying to choose my favourite game on the Amiga and I'm just reeling off games at you. I mean, all that stuff, it's just, it's all achievements, isn't it, one way or the other? If it gives you pleasure and you get something done and you either do it on your own or you do it as a group of mates, whether it be doing a raid or getting to the end of a level or actually managed to jump across somewhere, you know, they're all achievements in their own right and they all bring their own bits of satisfaction, I suppose. So I literally can't, you know, I can't just pluck something and go, that's the best thing I've done, the proudest moment, because it changes from week to week how you feel about stuff. It's like choosing your favourite album, isn't it? Or your favourite band, those things, they always change, they're never constant. So what's the hardest thing you've done then? Hardest thing? I think things like Grand Theft Auto, just seeing that through to the end and doing lots of stuff on your own, I think that's an achievement. I think doing things like that, where you've not had a lift, a game like that, there are components of things I might be good at and the components of things I'm not good at, but you can't walk away from it. It's like a game where I say, well, I don't like driving games, so I won't go driving. Well, you've got to drive, you mm-hmm. know, you've got to shoot, you've got to do all this other sort of stuff, you know. So I think that's an achievement because you get better at doing that as well. And then that carries through and seeing it through to the end rather than abandoning it and seeing most things the world has to offer. So that'd be an example, I think, of something that's difficult for me initially, but then, you know, you get better, you get more confident. Yeah, the more time you spend with something, the better you get at it, even if you don't don't yeah, like yeah. doing it. But the achievement is, I think, is staying around long enough to get better. Rather than going, this is bullshit, or I hate this, or it's broken, or I'm no good at this sort of thing, or mm. I'll never be good at this, or it's not my thing. And just Gaming by attrition. Else, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, but actually, I think stuff like that, you know, if you stick around and suddenly start to get the benefit from it, I think that's that's really great. And actually you get better as a gamer as a result, mm. which then can carry through to other stuff, you know. It's interesting, I think, seeing the change. I know, I know you say I'm shit, and I'm slow, and all these other things, but I can see that kind of progression as for me as a gamer as I've got older strangely how I've got better at certain things or more confident or more familiar with stuff part of that's repetition part of that's been around more you know I suppose not having such a head start because I didn't grow up around games like that for me that's a pleasure uh, or an achievement is just getting better at doing stuff or mechanics and things being more familiar so you just kind of jump in and you kind of have a sense of what you're doing so you tackle it in a, in a better way or a different way or sometimes you use your ingenuity better because you're you're thinking more like a gamer or more about the way games throw things at you as well that's probably something else mm. your approaches improve or change you know yeah your approach might change but your the thing that i found not just from my perspective but watching other people as well as they've got older is their reactions are just or my reactions have got worse and other people's reactions have got worse so i know this is a, a really really shit thing if you have like someone that's quite young i don't know who the youngest person is out of our group and then you have Roy on the other end. It's like mm. watching them do an emergency stop in a vehicle. Like, if something happens, the young person's like, oh, yeah. Joe, they've done it. Whereas watching Roy will fucking bumble about and I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Mm. My skills are definitely degrading as I've got older. Absolutely. We don't have lightning reactions. But the thing is... You start to play games that suit your style or suit the way you enjoy it or you start to play games differently. So I think for me, playing cooperative games where you don't have to be the person who's the quickest or has the fastest shot or anything like that or the most accurate shot, but actually you play a contributing role while shooting people as well, you know, but if you keep things fixed or you keep people healed or you do that support role that allows the people who are able to do that that's important you know that's important to me I think we all have a role to play you know yeah I always admired that when we played Battlefield that you would fucking run across the field to revive someone even though it meant you were going to die more than likely which might not be the most clever thing but you always sort of think well actually that's my job to do that you know and there's a chance you'll pull it off you're allowing that person to do what they do absolutely yeah and your sacrifice is 
tying it in the grand scheme of things to them being on the ground. All those things put together probably mean you win the match because mm. if the other team are just doing their own selfish, random, kill-death ratio shit, then actually, if it's an objective and you're going to win it by playing the objective, then actually everybody's got a role to play in mm. that, haven't they? If it were me and it were like, well, there's bodies on ground and it were Leah, if it were Martin, mm. it'd be like, I'll pick him up. Even though I'm going to die, Absolutely. I'll pick him yeah. up. But if it's you, I'm just like, fuck that, I'm just going to stand here and shoot. Joe, carry on shooting because yeah. I'm going to go out, I'm going to pick him up, he's going to die, I'm going to die and we're just going to fucking get frustrated. So, yeah, like, I think yeah. you sort of, you have like a, a flow chart of what you follow depending on the situation. Yeah. So for me, I think there's an element of you perhaps begin to choose games that play to those strengths or give you some room to operate, you know? So it's not all reliant. So, you know, Call of Duty, utter waste of time. It'd be absolutely misery for me. Whereas the Battlefield games give you that flexibility. And I think that's what I like. You know, Division allowed you to do that. You could play as a healer or as a tank or a DPS, you know, and, and as those builds got more complex, you know, it allowed you to, to do more and more sort of stuff. You could be support or up front or at the back or whatever you want to do, you know, and you can change on the hoof. And I think that question earlier about achievements and being good at stuff, I think is being able to differentiate and create different things to different scenarios and be able to react and play differently to suit what's going on or what's demanded of you as a teammate. And I think for me, that's the thing about co-op play and having mates to play with is that you can discuss that or you can agree how you're going to do it or you can work out how you're going to achieve that solve that puzzle or whatever it might be if people kind of play to that often you're successful if people don't listen or get cross and frustrated it all falls apart mm. and I think you see that in all sorts of games you know you probably see that in Overwatch or I'll see it in something else where the teams that kind of play together tend to be the ones that are going to be successful I think the funniest thing there is you said that question that you asked earlier about the gaming achievements and it's like yeah this is the question <laughs> we have moved on. <laughs> it's just been that long ago. It feels like it was. Yeah, yeah. You asked something before about what you felt kind of proud about, achieve about, or something. I think that was another question. It's similar, anyway. Yeah, question 16. That was it. It's just... All right. Yeah. There's another one earlier than that, I'm sure. What? It felt like about two weeks ago you asked me a question, which might have been a bit similar. Oh, fucking hell. I, yeah, I, I'm sorry, listener. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> at, this, at this point, there is only one listener. <laughs> All the others have gone into a catatonic state. Question 17. Name a bit of game design that impressed you when you first saw it. Things like customization, dressing up, you know, it's almost like things like that, I think, are, are interesting changes. Because in the past, you know, you got a character, you chose a character, and they're just cookie cutter characters, aren't they? You know, I mean, I, I mentioned Chaos Engine, you know, you, you could choose the uh, the priest, couldn't you, or the, the vagabond, or the, the brute, and stuff like that. Mm. That's quite interesting. Different play styles, different characteristics. That, you know, thinking back to early days, that's quite innovative on one level. But then take that step forward, and you could create your character, then you can dress your character character you know and then you can change your character on the fly by going to the barber shop or you know all these sort of things all those things i think are real kind of quality of life things that they aren't the game you know they aren't essential to the game but actually you know i was playing saints row three and i got an overweight sumo wearing flip-flops and a thong you know with a tattoo that's my character and he went around reaping havoc you know i just thought this is the most ludicrous character you're ever gonna get but it's it's fucking brilliant it wouldn't have been as funny if it was just a just a, a guy it brought it absurdity to what was already a stupidly absurd and wonderful game you know but it brought my own bit of absurdity to that which almost cemented the whole kind of game as it was I suppose and just added a layer that kind of made it even more perfectly whole in its stupidity yeah so I think that kind of thing I've got no specific example but those sort of things I think certainly make a difference 
Question 18. Can you recall a time where you got frustrated at a game? What was the game and what was the issue? Oh, fuck. I get frustrated all the time. So, all right. So, I mean, I think it's a double-sided question, isn't it? Because they're the frustrations of your own making because you're not good enough. Or actually, sometimes, because the game, you just feel it's cheating you, you know? Mm. And then secondly, it's the people you play with. You know, and sometimes that's probably me. <laughs> it's the frustration for other people. Yep. But yep. as we were talking... I can attest the guy to that. Who, the, yeah, absolutely. So, the guy who remained nameless in the Grand Theft Auto, who just killed every fucking thing we did including the time you were in a car together weren't you and he just kept going who's saying that who's talking to me you know who's telling me to do this you know it was fucking you in the driving seat you know and it's like and then it turns out he's a fucking racist you know it's just that you can't make up the frustration really it's almost like comedy frustration with unacceptable aspects isn't it you know and then I suppose there's a bit about games where you just get stuck or you're frustrated or you just think it's been a bit cheaty or whatever you know it happened to me recently and I can't even think what the game was and I'm just sitting there in a fucking tantrum and I can't work out if it's me I'm not being good enough or whether the games contribute what game was this? I can't remember which one it was I don't know if it was a bit of Destiny or Warframe it was quite recently so it couldn't have been it must have been one of those games that's played right. I just hit something you just thought for fuck's sake I think it was I think it was probably Warframe actually I think it put me in a situation where I wasn't powerful enough and I was at the right point in the game where I should have been powerful enough but the tools I got to do the job because I probably needed to go off and do some absurd levelling up that would have took fucking days to do which was unrelated to the thing I was doing but actually incidentally if I'd have done that it would have probably made it a lot easier the bit I was stuck on so it just made it a grind so I was doing a quest that actually was a really enjoyable quest that was really well written and advanced the lore of the story I was quite gripping but at certain points I needed to do something with a character or a sub character and it didn't have the beef to do the damage you know mm. and if I'd have spent probably hours on the plains of Eidolon collecting sentient cores to beef up my power amp I'd have probably been alright to do that but actually I wasn't and the two things weren't related it wasn't like you need to go and do this before you can do that because they're totally separate but actually it happened that's a frustration in a game that generally doesn't frustrate me but it did on this occasion and I think it's stuff like that where you're expected probably to have done everything all the time to put yourself in that situation and it's not really fair in terms of that linear progression really yeah it's letting you access an activity that you're just not ready for yeah I don't, you know, I could do it, but it took longer. And I think as a result of that, the frustration probably took away from a little bit the pleasure that I would have had from doing that piece of story. Because mm. the story was great. You know, it was well told, it was well scripted, it was well presented, it expanded the, the understanding of the world we're in, it moved you on in terms of opening up new possibilities and new opportunities. But the tools to do the job in that instance for me weren't good enough so I had to grind it in a frustrating way Mm. I think that's the frustration for me has been just put in a situation that it's not necessarily your fault it's not necessarily about skill it's more about you're in the wrong place at the wrong moment yeah they've put you at the bottom of a mountain and and instead of giving you hiking boots they'll give you flip flops yeah but the trouble would be that having recognised that to go and get the bloody mountain boots you know it would have took friggin ages Mm. so actually it was quicker to go and just go through that frustration and still get it done you know with the limitations but it then detracts a bit from the enjoyment of the story Mm. and because those story elements are I suppose spaced in between all the day to day activities and stuff like that that when you do a bit you know it should be something that's a bit special and something you enjoy and you don't want it to be really detracted from by kind of just getting cheesed off with it you know Mm. because you feel it's just been a bit unfair to you so that's a frustration Question 19. Where do you think gaming will go over the next few years and what will be your part in it? Well, my part is just to participate in it and hopefully keep enjoying it and I suppose constantly having that experience stretched. So I think for me, as I was saying, there's two potential things. I suppose 
there's the direction in terms of storytelling right and how we kind of integrate that into the play style and i suppose the other question mark isn't it is around things like vr right which at the moment it still feels very early adopter territory and is it's quite expensive and on one level for a lot of people it's not convincing you know so uh, I think you could imagine quite happily you know a, a world where everybody's got a headset of some sort or everybody's kind of having a different experience to the one we're having now where you're staring at a TV screen but I think I said before you know it's uh, a bit like 3D TV I've, I've yet to be convinced about that so I think that, that's that's a suck it and see or a wait and see scenario I think the thing with VR is it's optional at the minute if they made it so yeah, it's just like yeah. oh well you buy your Xbox or you buy your Playstation or you buy mm. whatever and it comes with it. And yeah. then that's when it'll take off. But having it as yeah, an optional, yeah. people don't want to support it. And the people that do support it are just making shit for it. They're not making proper games. It's not like Resident Evil yeah. where they're making fully fledged games that are 10 hours, 20 hours long. They're just sure. making these sort of gimmicky things. That are... They're all like demos, aren't they, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, they're almost. like tech yeah, demos. Yeah. They're not actually games. They're just sort of these standalone things that sort of like, well, this is what we could do, but mm. actually to make them engrossing, making them so that people want to actually spend time with that ridiculous thing on the head yeah, is yeah. another matter entirely. I suppose the other aspects which is would be interesting is how do we, or how does the game industry design for an ageing game population so there might be people with disabilities and other stuff who want a game but actually as people get older they're, it's not just about reflexes it, their physical abilities will change and other stuff it doesn't mean you're going to, want to stop gaming I think we've moved from that generation of people a certain generation would play games when they were young perhaps or when they were at college or when they were kids and then they grew up and had families and stopped gaming I don't think we live in that world anymore I think we live in a world where watching a movie or watching sport or streaming Netflix or playing a game are all all interchangeable and all viable options you know and it's expected you might do one of those things it's not a slightly shameful I'm a grown-up I shouldn't be doing that thing anymore so actually all those people are going to hit their 40s and 50s and 60s and probably beyond and there's a wave of people coming through like that they're going to want to keep gaming yeah well actually, gaming's becoming so how, how, how physically do you do that you know yeah gaming's and, uh, become normalized that's what's happened yeah absolutely yeah so actually how do you normalize gaming for a, for a changing and diverse and probably you know aging population whose physical abilities to keep playing in the way they might have done might become more limited you know they don't want to stop why should they stop so that's a question perhaps where how do you normalize the actual means to play games or the accessibility of games because at the moment it's aimed at a particular i think core audience isn't it and there's an expectation that you've got all your limbs you've got all your abilities You've got all your digits and things work perfectly. You've no faculties that are missing. Well, faculties are a different thing, you know. That's 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 more your mental faculties, isn't it? But in terms of your physical ability, it's just an assumption in gaming, I think, that that's not a problem for you, you know. Mm. As people we know who have various medical conditions and other stuff that actually it doesn't make it so easy for them, you know. So that that's be interesting to see, I think, how VR perhaps and a changing gaming population and perhaps a younger population have a, have a different expectation than us as well because they're growing up on different forms of gaming or different history of gaming than we are you know the, how do those things all come together that you create an environment that everybody actually has something for them and they can all kind of come together around that mm. so that's the interesting thing in terms of what games are going to be playing or stuff I've, I've no idea that's hopefully something for me to be surprised about and entertained and uh, you know and have my mind blown you know off topic but you've just reminded me of something I, I might as well fucking include it because we have gone well 
well off fucking rails with this episode yeah. of 20 Questions. But they did a, a thing where they were they were in a burns unit. Oh, yeah. And they were they measuring the pain that someone were experiencing when they were getting the bandages changed. Right. And when they had a VR headset and they played, like, someone playing in snow or whatever, uh-huh. their experience of pain was much less. Mm. They experienced fewer uncomfortable situations, you know, when they were changing stuff. So, like, yeah, I yeah. think that's kind of interesting that gaming can do that. It, it can remove you. It's like your situation and your location can change what you feel towards something. Like, a lot of fast food outlets have red in their logos because red makes you feel hungry. Ah. I suppose what you're saying though is interesting because because what they're doing they're using a sophisticated form of distraction technique aren't they? Yeah it's emerging. If you're lying there in a bed and the doctor comes in or the nurse says I'm going to remove your bandages now and you're you're already thinking shit that's going to hurt and then so you're gearing up for that you're watching it yeah, it's sleight of hand with immersion. And, and everything you're thinking about is actually the removal of those bandages. So if you're immersed into into something else, a distraction, and you do it with kids for injections, don't you? Mm-hmm. Or all sorts of things, you know, where they just distract you with something. Or, the doc- you know, a good nurse will be talking to you while they're doing something. And sometimes you go, when are you going to do it? And they go, I've already done it. Mm. In a sense, that's, a, I think, a high-tech way of kind of doing something that people might have been using other skills for previously. And it opens a door to new ways of doing it in a way that actually, like you say, you can add things in so it's not just a distraction but there's cold in there and other things in there as well mm. plus you can't see what people are doing because you're, you're looking at something else I think the applications for video games are much wider than a lot of people realise sure you can train people with video games you can like divert people's attentions you can yeah. learn histories and stuff I know my younger cousins they play Assassin's Creed and they're like oh yeah this happened and this happened and it's like because the games are accurate to a point yeah, they're yeah. talking about stuff that's actually happened they're getting educated without really realizing that they're being educated i think that's a really interesting point and it's something that i think has happened to me a few times so assassin's creed it made me want to go to florence mm. you know running over those rooftops and all that stuff you know where machiavelli and da vinci and all that sort of stuff you know and I, I, for me i just thought i really want to go and see florence mm. and i see it on tv now and i think and i go to Nia. I run, i've run over that building i've been at the top of that cathedral been up there in fact most of my conversations are neat when something's on tv i go yeah I parachute onto the top of that you know you're in la or she something like fucking rolling eyes she just looks at me, you know. It's, but it, I think it, it is. It kind of. My mate's just come back from New York. He's been to. He's he's probably his forties. He's been to New York for the first time, right. and he said, "I always knew where I was because I played Grand Theft Auto in New mm. York." And he said, I, "And I couldn't believe I was walking around and going, I've been here. I know this. I know where I am.' You know. And I, I think it is that thing, isn't it, that you absorb something or you pick up something. It may not be an accurate historical piece of learning, but you you, you just pick things up because. There, there's always that essence of some sort of real world going mm. on in there you know that it connects you to the world in a way of, in places that you might never get a chance to go to but it creates a, a reality to them you know or an experience to them you know every time LA comes on TV I just go to the yeah be there done that the beach I said me and Sly have been on there and drubbing underneath the, the volleyball courts mm. you know it's all that sort of shit it just, it's just funny how things just, just kind of come you know I've got to be under the pier or that ferris wheel yeah yeah you know it's just it's just a really weird experience I think that it gives you that Here's a scary prospect. If you can learn from a game, how many people have learned to reload guns from just seeing, you know, the animation played over and over and over again? I suspect there's probably a step in there somewhere that you don't get to see or you don't quite. Mm. A bit like Breaking Bad making meth. 
it's like it's not quite right. Yeah, you probably still need to have a chemistry book, don't you? Mm. There's actually in Payday Two, there's a mission where you make meth. Okay. There's three um, ingredients. There's hydrochloric acid. I think I've done it mu- with you. Muriatic acid. Yeah, I think you have. Yeah, I've done it with and you. Yeah, I've done it with something you. Something else. Yeah. But yeah, if you were to put those three ingredients together in real life, you just basically get fuck all. It's just they wanted to avoid being sued to fuck. Right. Okay. Not that I'd burn my face off by trying to make it, and <laughs> no. have to wear a VR headset. Yeah. Okay. Question 20, your fuck, marry, kill question. Your fuck, marry, kill options are us laughing at you for doing something shit, doing extremely bad in an online game, or grinding forever for a loot drop that feels like it's never going to come. I kill the loot drop. You kill the loot drop. So, okay, so which one yeah. Which one are you going to fuck and which one are you going to marry? Us laughing at you or doing extremely poorly in an online game? It's... No problem for me. I just, this is just my life, Simon. So, you know, I could fuck or marry even of them, really. <laughs> Let's fucking do it. Let's wrap this up. I'd marry getting laughed at and I would fuck playing badly. Right, okay. Fucking hell. It's been a long and winding road. It has. This episode. Like my life. Yeah. Yeah. I've been... Man, you've just totally taken the wind out of me. I, this has been like a complete marathon for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've had fuck all control. Normally I can sort of direct people and stuff, but no, you've just fucking gone. You've cut your own path. This has been absolutely it's been an absolute pain in the ass. It's been my pleasure to be a pain in the ass for you, Simon. That's, I, I, that's yeah. Like, Anytime I can be a pain oh in the ass for you, Simon, like, just give me a call. Just let me finish. I'm trying to wrap it up. <laughs> right. This has been episode 11 of 20 Questions. I've been Simon. Yeah, I've been Dave. I think this show it's not in episode 11, 12, and 13 we've just done. It might as well have been. You could serialise it. I know. God damn. Do it, then do it as a box set. As a box set. It, well, to be fair, with all, charity with shops. all the really, really shit and even more boring outtakes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, bye. Be a pleasure. Bye-bye.